if you brought a Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, three verses from Genesis chapter 2 this morning, beginning at verse 7, verse 15, and then verse 20. And the message I have this morning is particularly for our graduates and our students, but it is also, uh, in general, for every person uh, sitting in this room this morning. As we go to Genesis chapter 2, we find ourselves in the creation story and the very beginning of the story before the fall, in the time of man's innocence. And in this time, God reveals to us through his word three specific things that he has for every single person uh, and that he wants us to cultivate in our lives. And if you don't have a Bible, I'll, uh, I'll give you the opportunity in just a moment to read it up here on the screen. Uh, if you do have a Bible, I want you to keep these verses in mind because they are God's instruction for us on the very basics of life and success. We start reading in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And now verse 20. And man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept, then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, which is life and life-giving. I pray that you would speak to us this morning as a body and speak to each of these graduates as they make decisions concerning their future and their life. And I ask you to bless the reading and the teaching of the word uh, with the anointing of the spirit upon my lips of clay. We ask that in Jesus' name and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to speak this morning about the three M's. And these three M's are found right here in Genesis chapter 2. They are essential parts of our understanding and uh, of our life if we want to live in success before God. And so this morning I want to talk about the master, the mission, and the mate. All three of these uh, realities we find in chapter 2 of Genesis. And they made for success in the life of Adam. And they were part of God's original creation. And they are part of God's plan for your life and for your future this morning. And so to the graduates, I want to uh, encourage you to, to tune in real clear this morning and to receive uh, the instruction that comes from the Word of God. And everybody else, I want you to listen because this Word is for you also. Uh, there are three M's that make up uh, the life that God programmed and created for Adam. Once again, they are the master the mission and the mate. Let's say those together, master, mission, and mate. I want to talk first about the master because this is the first and most important relationship that you and I will ever have in this life is our relationship with God. And so from the very beginning, what we notice about God is that God is a relational God. God loves relationships. And God invented relationships. He created relationships. And this morning when we read about Adam, we see that God did not just make him and disappear. But rather, the Bible says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam lived in a daily relationship with God. And that is God's plan and God's purpose for our life. And so this morning as we talk about God, we realize that he is the master in the story. He is the Lord of the story. He is the leader of the story. Why is he the master? Why does he get to have that position or that role of, 
of commanding our lives because simply he's the one who made us. He is our creator. We are here only because of the goodness of our creator. The Bible tells us this in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil day comes and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. The Bible encourages young people to acknowledge God early in their life. It encourages us uh, to make God the master of our life early in our life. Why? Well, statistics tell us that if a person does not come to know Jesus before the age of 18, the 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 probability of them coming to know Christ after that age is very, very difficult. And so we see that uh, the heart of a young person is tender and open toward God. And many times as life progresses for a person, uh, experience and hardships makes them hard and, uh, and their hearts close off toward God and many times toward a lot of other things. And so God tells us, make me your master early in your life. And I'll give you another reason why you should make God your master early in your life. Because he's the only one that can really make good use of all of your life. Some people think, you know, I'll serve the Lord when I'm an old man, an old woman. I'll serve the Lord when I'm uh, ready to retire. No, if you want to live a life of fulfillment, a life that is fully used, a life where not one second has been wasted, you want to start that life serving God now. I can tell you that I have served God uh, my whole life, just about seven, at the age of seven, I began to preach the word of God. And God has not wasted my life. I've traveled in more than 30 countries. I've preached in all, I've preached in six continents of the earth. I've seen some of the most extraordinary views and, uh, and places on earth. And, and I can tell you that God will not waste your life if you will give it to him. If you make him master of your life early on. We read in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 through 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. How many of you would like to have a straight path? How many of you would like to have success in your life? Well, that comes by acknowledging God and trusting fully in him. When you put God first, and you put God's opinion and God's will above everyone else's opinion, including your own, and everyone else's will, including your own. When you put God's will and God's opinion first, he says, I'll give you a path to success. I will make you what you could not make of yourself. Uh, when I was in high school, I was planning on going to the Southern Methodist University. That was my intention and I didn't ever pray about it. I just decided that's what I was going to do. I could tell that my mom and dad were not real at peace with that decision. And they really had no reason not to be at peace with it. But they were spirit-filled people. And can I just tell you that if you have spirit-filled parents, you just might as well quit sinning, all right? It's not going to work. They're going to know. Mom and dad are going to know what's going on. And, uh, and so they... they uh, we're not real comfortable with that, and I, I recognize that. And one day I decided to finally acknowledge God in the decision. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just waited too long to ask God what he thinks? And I went before the Lord. I said, Lord, uh, if you don't want me to go to SMU, then I'm asking you to change my heart overnight. I mean, just by tomorrow morning, give me a whole new plan. And literally, uh, that was the entirety of the prayer meeting. We didn't have a long time. I didn't speak in tongues. I just gave it to God. The next morning, I woke up and had zero desire to go to SMU. And uh, it turned out that that day, we were having a college fair. And so we went to this college fair. And now I had a blank slate. I already had a roommate at SMU. I already had the entire thing worked out. And now I wasn't going there. God had changed the, my plan and my program. And I walked up to a table that was the Dallas Baptist University, and I knew that's where God wanted me to go. And then I got there, and they had Dr. Pepper, and I knew that's where God wanted me to go. So I went to DBU, and at DBU, I received an education in the Bible, and I received an education in servant leadership, and I received an education in ministry that I would never have received at SMU. In fact, my first semester at DBU, 
we heard from SMU that they had had a chapel service, and the entire chapel service was dedicated to people coming out of the closet, and they called it Lazarus Come Forth. And so I realized that God saved me from going into an institution that would have taught me to view God's word from man's perspective rather than from God's perspective. And that's what happens when you and I just stop for a moment and acknowledge God and say, God, I have an opinion. My parents have an opinion. My church has an opinion. The world has an opinion. What do you say? What do you want? And when you acknowledge God, he says, I will make your path straight. Say amen if you believe that. That's our first duty to God is to acknowledge him. Our second duty to God is to reverence him. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 tells us the conclusion of the matter is this. When all has been heard and said and done, the fear of God and keeping His commandments is the conclusion of the matter. When you and I decide to reverence God, to say, God, I'm going to live in the fear of God, not in fear of God as though God is a terror and he's walking around with a club waiting to smack you when you do something wrong, but living in reverence and reverent fear before God and saying, God, I know that you're in control of this world. I know you're in control of my life, and so I'm going to live my life in a manner that reverences you, that honors you, and that brings you glory. And then I want to mention the third duty of man is to love God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 22, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. That is our duty to God, to love Him. A lot of people just want to acknowledge Him, say, Yes, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. But that's not enough. There's more to, to, the, to the master part of this equation than just acknowledging that He's there. And just fearing him, but it is about loving him, about having a relationship with God, about walking with the God who loves you. I don't know if you realize this this morning, but God is head over heels in love with you. God loves you before you were even born. He loved you from the foundations of the world. The Bible says that God spoke and he said, I have set my love upon you. I have drawn you from a far away place. God loves you so much. The Bible said that he demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to the cross to die for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to make this confession with me this morning. God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. Say it again with some excitement. God loves me. Aren't you excited about that? Give God praise for his love. He has set his love upon you. You may not have received love in this life, but you have the love of God. The love of God is unconditional. And it is uncaused. What do you mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Your mama loves you. All right? And people, we always say, there's no love like a mother's love. And that's pretty much true. Except for this fact. Mama does not love everybody in the neighborhood like she loves her kids. Her love is attached to her children. God's love is not like mama's love. God's love is for every person in the neighborhood. And every person in the world. And he, he requires of us to return our life in, in reverence and fear to him. And when you walk with God, you'll fall in love with God. Amen. And when you fall in love with God, you'll discover that his love takes away fear, takes away anxiety, takes away worry. It produces faith in your life. And so we are told, love the Lord your God with all that you are. Love him with your heart with your emotions, with your inner man. Love him with your mind, with your education, with the things that you pursue. Love him with all of your soul. Get all of you, all of you involved in loving God, and the outcome will be blessing in your life. And it will be a path that was like the path of Adam, where he walked with God. 
The Bible tells us about Enoch that Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. You know how I imagine that? Here's Enoch. He's a man of God and he's walking with God. He is close to God and one day he and God are walking together and the Lord just reached over and squeezed a little too hard and Enoch ended up in heaven just like that. He was taken away out of the world because of his love and devotion toward God. And when God finds a person that is absolutely sold out to him. There is no end to the blessing that God will put upon that person's life. And there is no end to the things that that person can do for God. Is there anybody in here that's sold out this morning to God and says, God, you're first in my life. You're the master of my life. I am in love with you. I will live for you. I will die with you. Everything I do is for you. Come on. If that's you, shout amen. Now, the second M that we see in Genesis chapter 2 is the mission. Now, I'm calling it mission because I'm giving you three M's. But really, this is a, another word. That's the word work. And do you realize that God not only gave Adam a relationship with himself, but he also gave him work. He gave him a job. Now, I know that work is a bad word in a lot of circles nowadays. And it's, it's unknown to the dictionary of many young people. But work was part of God's plan prior to the fall. A lot of people think that work came because of the fall. No, work existed before the fall. Hard work came because of the fall. But before the fall, God already intended that his creatures would have a job. They would have a labor in their hands, something to do. Why? God is a creator, and God made us in his image. And part of his image is to do stuff. To create, to, to make the place where we live and the communities where we work and serve to be better than they were when we found them. And so we read that the Bible says the Lord took Adam and put him in the garden of Eden and he put him there to cultivate it. That means to work the garden and to keep it. Adam had a job before he had a girlfriend, all right? That is such an important principle that every person in here needs to hear, especially the young people, all right? It, young lady, if there's a guy trying to date you, find out first, does he have a master? And then find out, does he have a job, all right? If he doesn't have a master... Don't say yes to nothing, all right? You can't trust that guy. And if he doesn't have a job, you sure enough can't trust that guy, all right? He's going to make you pay for dinner and put gas in his car to get you home. So you be careful now. Adam had a job before he ever had a wife, before he had a girlfriend, before Eve was a glimmer in his eye. He already was on mission from God. And this is so important because, you see, when you and I realize that God has created us to do something and that our mission is so important to God that he's put within us gifts and callings and abilities so that that mission can be carried out. It is an extraordinary thing how awesome our master has been and our creator has been to us. So you've been going through this educational process in your life and God has been revealing gifts and callings and skills in your life. And those of you who are sitting in this room, you know that the gifts you have, they came from God. And you've had a lot to do with preparing them and cultivating them and making them better. But they originated in the heart of God. And they are God's purpose and design for your life. Now there is one mission that everybody in here has. Absolutely everyone in this room has this one mission. And the mission is to bring glory to God. The, the greatest thing on God's mind is that he will receive glory. That's why he gave you gifts. That's why he gave you talent. That's why he gave you an education. You think about the, the gift of, of just going through high school. Many places in the world do not have that opportunity. And yet you've been given that opportunity. What does that mean? God has favored you. He blessed you so that you could bring him glory. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. God has given you this responsibility. Wherever you are, whatever you do, bring him glory. So the first thing you need to have is a relationship with God. The second thing you need to have is a clear understanding of what is my job on this earth. Why did God put me here? He put me here to bring him glory. Now the second thing I want to point out here is that there are two basic spheres where you and I can do this. And there is, um, there is an, an important value in what I'm about to say. So I want you to capture this. All right, Everybody in here has a ministry. Say that with me. I have a ministry. But every one of us has a ministry in one of these two spheres. The first sphere is the sphere of vocational ministry. And not everybody is called to vocational ministry. That's the calling that I have received. I knew that since I was a little boy. And my entire life I've known I'm going into the ministry. I'm going to serve God completely. I'm going to uh, be an evangelist or pastor, whatever God has called me to do. But I'm going to be working in vocational ministry. And many of you in here have been uh, related to or married to or are raised by someone in vocational ministry. And you know what that means. And a lot of times the church thinks, well, if I wasn't called to be a pastor, if I'm not called to vocational ministry, then I don't have a ministry. Wrong. You have a ministry. And the, the other side of ministry, or the other side of this, is the marketplace ministry. And this is where just about everybody is called to be. You have been called by God to enter the marketplace. And what I mean by marketplace is enter the culture. Enter the, the community that you live and serve in and do a ministry there. And so uh, if you are not called to vocational ministry, you haven't been called to pastor a church or to be an evangelist or to uh, serve in, the, in a vocational capacity, then there is a responsibility on your life to go into the marketplace and do your work, whether it be bagging groceries or mopping floors or, uh, or whether you are a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist or a veterinarian or whether you have been uh, called to the educational field or the entertainment world or whether you have been called to communications, wherever it is that you go, you have a ministry in that marketplace. And the first ministry in the marketplace as well as the first ministry in the, in the vocational ministry is to do what we do for the glory of God and to do it with excellence. That means if you are a Christian... And your job is to mop floors. They ought to be the shiniest floors in all of Beville. Say amen, somebody. And if you've been called to vocational ministry, your sermons ought to be the best sermons you can possibly preach. Say amen, somebody. That means if you have been called into the marketplace, whatever you do, whether you are uh, involved in the, in the legal profession or in medicine or in communications or whatever it is, you do it with excellence. You do it when the boss is watching, and you do it right when the boss is not watching. Say amen, somebody. You show up on time. You're a good employee. You don't take pencils and papers, uh, paper clips from the office, all right? You do it with integrity. You pay your bills on time. Why? Because you are representing God, and you are bringing glory to God by doing that. And when you and I have a picture of what that is in our life, we realize there's no place in the world we can go where God cannot get glory out of me. Now, there's also the opportunity to take uh, your, your place in that marketplace and go beyond just living in excellence and actually being a ministry to the community, being a ministry to the world around you as you live as a gospel light in that place. Jesus said this way. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He wasn't just talking to missionaries. He was talking to every single person in the church and in the household of faith. He says, go everywhere you go, preach the gospel. Be a light. Be a shining light of the glory of God that has taken place in your life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Abraham was an entrepreneur. Joseph was a politician. David was a king. Esther was a queen. Daniel, Nehemiah worked in government. Matthew was a tax collector. Boaz, Peter and John, and Lydia were in business. All of these people are Bible heroes. And none of them were in vocational ministry. All of them started out being a light where they were. 
And listen, God always looks for a worker. When God wants to choose somebody to do something great with, he doesn't go to see who's sitting on the couch eating potato chips. He looks for somebody that has a job, that has a mission, that is on purpose for God, that wakes up knowing this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to go and do the thing that God has called me to do. If you agree with that, say amen. If you don't know what your mission is, then Go in the next direction that God leads. Sometimes God doesn't give you the big picture. Sometimes all he does is give you the next picture. And all you have to do is walk toward the next picture. So if you just graduated from high school, you need to be praying. And I'm sure you've already done this. You know, okay, God, this is the place that God's leading me. He's leading me to college or he's leading me to that place of business or work. You go to the next step God leads. And as you do that, he will show you the light that you need to take the next step that is before you. Now I want to get to the third M, and that is the mate. Say them again, master, mission, mate. You need a relationship with God, and you need a job. Say amen, somebody. You need to work at something. And then there is this other important factor that we see in the pre-fall plan of God for Adam. And that is that God looked around after he gave him a job. His job was to cultivate the garden and to name all of the animals. And after he looked around and he saw there was no one like him. There was no one that looked like him. There was no one in that creation like Adam. Adam looked around and he saw that no one could talk to him. No one could encourage him. No one could reason like him. No one could create like him. And then the Bible said, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Did I tell you that God created relationships? God created relationships so that you can accomplish his purpose. And so he made him a wife. He made him a mate. Now this is significant to me because the Bible says that in, in the Hebrew, if you read it, that when God made Adam, it literally used the word in Hebrew, he squeezed. He squeezed Adam out of the dust. And then when he made Eve, it says he fashioned her. Now, that's not really fair, but that's what's in the Bible, all right? So the guys, that's why we got what we got, because the Lord just squeezed us, and we were done. But the women, God took his time with, and he fashioned them according to his purpose. And now God brings into Adam's life the mate that's going to help him to accomplish God's purpose in his life. Now, she is his help mate. Say that with me. Help mate. This is why I'm telling you, if you're, if you're interested in a guy that does not have a job, young ladies, listen. If he does not have a mission, if he doesn't know what he's doing with his life, he doesn't need any help. All right, what are the two of you going to do? He doesn't need a help mate. The only guys that need a help mate are the guys that know where they're going and what they're doing. Anybody in here know what they're going, what they're doing? Shout amen, guys. Then if you, if you know what God has called you to do, then you need a helpmate. And until you know that, leave her alone, all right? Because your mission is going to determine the kind of mate that you need in order to be able to accomplish the purpose of God. Now, I want to mention this because uh, there are seasons in life and seasons in relationship and primarily as we regard this topic, there are two seasons. There is singleness and there is marriage. And I want you to understand something. Singleness is a calling from God and marriage is a calling from God. Now there are benefits in singleness that you don't have in marriage. And there are benefits in marriage that you don't have in singleness. So as you walk with God, those of you who are young people, you're in your master and mission state in life, then uh, you don't uh, get too in a hurry trying to find your mate because God has you in the single season of your life. And that season of singleness in your life is important for your development and growth. Now, some people are actually called to be single for their entire life, and uh, they're called to be single so that they can accomplish a particular purpose for God. Not everyone has that calling. And so that also indicates that marriage is a calling. And so you don't just want to get married. You want to know that you're called to marry that particular person by God. You say, Pastor, why does this matter? 
Because if God is your master and you're on mission for him, then the mate that you choose has to fit in that formula, has to fit in that category. So to the singles, I want to say this. These are the advantages of being single. Number one, single people are free from the distractions of marriage so that they can serve God fully. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. So why am I not married right now, Pastor? Well, this is why. Because God wants you to serve him fully right now. And you can do that. You can serve God fully when you are single. And there are certain distractions, they're good distractions, that come with marriage. But when you're single, those things are not a part of it. So listen, if tomorrow morning you're single, right? You, tomorrow morning you wake up and the Lord says, you're going to China for three years to preach the gospel. You don't have to ask anybody about it. You just can get up and go if you're single and you have been called by God. If you get that call tomorrow morning and you're married, guess what? You're going to have to slow it down and talk to your husband, talk to your wife, because you have now commitments that have been made that impede that ability. The second thing about singleness is that, as I have said, single people can get up and go. If you want to get up and go uh, to Corpus tonight or to Houston or to Dallas or to Vegas, hopefully not Vegas, you can do that. If you have the money to do it, all right, because you are free to do that. You can't do that in marriage, all right? Number three, single people can afford to be generous in ways that married people often cannot. And then number four, single people need to desire God more than they desire marriage. If you want to live a satisfied single life, you've got to have your relationship with God strong and intact. Say amen, somebody. Number five, single people should understand the call to marriage or the call to singleness and understand what season you're living in right now. All right? I, I want to just tell you that when you understand that, there's a lot of peace that comes with it. There's a lot of joy that comes with it when you understand I am in a se season in which God is forming me and preparing me for marriage. But then there comes the second season. That is the season of marriage. And as I said, marriage has benefits that singleness does not have. So while, while singleness has certain benefits, marriage has an additional category of benefits. The first one is this. Marriage is a covenant that God has blessed. And do you realize that when God made Adam and then he made Eve, he brought Eve to him, the Bible says, and he blessed them. Marriage is a blessed covenant from God. If there are any married people in here, say Amen. The married people in here are in a special covenant that is blessed by Almighty God. God has chosen to bless marriage. Now you understand now why the enemy fights marriage. Why the enemy goes hard against marriages. He's fighting the covenant of marriage today in two ways. First of all, the enemy is fighting the covenant of marriage by telling people, just live together. You don't have to get married. Don't go in front of a judge. Certainly don't go in front of a preacher. You just live together, get to know each other, and everything's going to be all right. And, and what he's doing is he's ripping the power out of your relationship because the power of God comes into marriage relationship because of the covenant you've made with God and that person. But the second way the enemy is attacking marriage is through the vocabulary of divorce. And he's bringing divorce into as many marriages as he can. Now you understand this. God has blessed marriage. And God wants your marriage to succeed. Say amen, somebody. And so to the young people here who right now you're not thinking about marriage at all, the day is going to come when you start to feel that call toward marriage. You need to be clear about this. This is a covenant between me, my partner, and God. And God will bless this marriage if we will walk with him. The second benefit of marriage is that marriage is a type of Christ and the church. When you're married, all the married people in here, you are a type of Christ and the church. The way you love one another reflects how God loves us. And it reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. Number three, marriage is a multiplication of strength. The Bible says that two are better than one. And the Bible also says that one can chase a thousand, but two can chase ten thousand. And that is the great benefit of marriage. You see, when you're alone, when you're single, there's a time there that's uh, beneficial to you. But then there are certain things that God wants to do in your life, and he calls you into marriage. He calls you to have a mate so that he can multiply your strength. 
so that you can go from chasing 1,000 demons to chasing 10,000 demons and not even bat an eye because you have the multiplied strength of unity in marriage. The Bible says two are better than one. Why? For three reasons. Number one, they, if one falls, the other will pick him up. Look at God's strategy for marriage. He says marriage is designed in such a way that if one falls, the other picks him up. Now that means that when one falls, the other doesn't kick him, doesn't stand on him. The other helps him up. Say amen, somebody. That's God's plan. He's put that into your marriage. So that when she falls, you help her up. When he falls, you help him up. And this way, nobody stays down and nobody stays defeated. Say amen in the house of God this morning. And then he says... Uh, secondly, that if you are cold, uh, pardon, verse 11 says, so also these two sleep together. So there's a benefit of marriage right there. You can sleep together, all right? If you are not married, you can't sleep together legally in front of God's eyes. But if you are married, he says you can sleep together and keep each other warm so that if one is cold, the other keeps him warm. This is God's protection in marriage. He's brought the uh, affection of his own heart into that marriage relationship so that you can have the warmth of, of God in your life. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then it says, nourish her and cherish her. That word cherish literally means to make soft by means of warmth. God has put the husband in the life of his wife to bring cultivation and warmth into her life. And then we see this third thing in Ecclesiastes. He says, uh, and if one of them is attacked, he will be destroyed. But together they will resist and have victory. So God says, I put you in marriage so that when you are attacked, you will have victory. Say amen, somebody. You see, the devil would like to come against your marriage. And he will come against your marriage without a doubt. You'll come against the, the mate that God has chosen for you. But you come to this knowledge that when you are both walking in God's, in relationship with God, and in your mission, that you become an unstoppable force, a powerful force to be reckoned with in this world. And God says you'll be able to fend off the strategies of the devil. Let me tell you a story in the Bible. There's a, a man who has a wife named Jael. Not, not like county jail, but J-A- E-L or something like that, jail. And uh, the Bible tells us that her husband was on the battlefield and he was fighting a strong enemy. But the army was winning. His army was winning. And so the scripture tells us that when the enemy could not defeat the army, he went ahead and escaped the battlefield. And where did he go? But he went to the man's house. Now just think about that. This is how the devil works. He, if he can't beat you on the battlefield, he'll go to your house. And so he goes to her, he goes to his house, and who is there but Jael, his wife. Jael is a, uh, a housewife. She's a woman of, uh, of cultivation, and she is doing what, what women in that day would do in cultivating a home for her husband and her family. And this enemy shows up at her door. And he says to her, you know, I've come from a long journey. I'm really tired. I need a place to rest. Really what he wanted was a place to hide out. Can I just tell you, don't let the devil hide out at your house. And don't let the devil hide out in your mind. Say amen, somebody. She need, he needed a place to hide out. But jail, what, what he didn't understand was this. He left her warrior husband on the battlefield. What he did not understand was that the warrior husband had a warrior wife. What am I telling you? A man that knows how to pray and a woman that knows how to pray are unstoppable. And so Jael, being a woman who knew warfare, she understood the spiritual dynamics of this situation. She invited him to the house. She said, oh, yeah, come on, have a rest. And she, she warmed him up some milk so that he fell into a, the best nap of his life. Can I just tell you, he was having the best nap of his life. And while he was sleeping, Jael went over and took a tent peg. And that's a long stick you would use to hold a, a tent in place. And she took that sharp tent peg and she took a hammer and drove the peg through the temples of his head and nailed that enemy to the ground. Uh, can you just imagine what that was like when, when the warrior husband came home and realized, whoa, mama, you have some fight in you. Can I tell you, there are some marriages like that at Kingsway Church 
When the devil gets out of your hands, he goes over to her hands and he cannot get loose because the power of God is in your marriage. Say amen, somebody. So you see the importance of having a mate. The Bible says this. Two are better than one and a three-strand cord is not easily broken. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about two. Where's this three coming from? God is the three in every marriage. So when you go to look for a mate, young people, God has to be the third person. When you come to the altar and you're united in marriage, it's you and the spouse and God. And God is so particular about this covenant. In the book of Malachi, he brought the covenant back to the priests of Israel. He said, I was a witness at your wedding. And you are wondering why you filled the altar with tears, and yet I will not answer your prayers. Because I was a witness at your wedding, and you have not dealt well with the wife of your youth. God takes marriage seriously. He says a three-strand cord cannot be easily broken. And so what do I do, Pastor, if I feel that God has given me a mission and God is calling me to marriage? First of all, you need to be absolutely sure that the man or woman you choose to marry is in relationship with God. If they do not have a relationship with God, I don't care how good-looking he is. I don't care how good-looking she is. If they are not in relationship with God, they are not qualified to marry you. The Bible says do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Let me have an amen. Because I'm just preaching the gospel. I'm not preaching 21st century American popular psychology. I'm preaching the word of God. And God says do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You say, Pastor, I'm already married. All right, stay married then. But if you are not married, this is God's standard for you. Do you want him to have his say in your life? He needs to be the master of your mate as well as your master. And then make sure that this person and you can serve God better together than you would apart. Can you fulfill the mission that God has given you by marrying this person? The answer is no. You may have to say no to that marriage or to that relationship. Because God has given you a calling. He's given you gifts. And if you marry someone that contradicts those callings or resents that calling in your life, there's going to be friction and problems there. Look to see, do we have a complementary relationship to the call of God on our life? And finally, will this person help you to walk closer to God and fulfill the mission of God in your life? If you find a mate like that, don't second guess it, all right? Because a mate that walks with God, that is on, on the same page with your mission, and that is in love with God and in love with you, is a gift from God to you. And that mate will help you to accomplish all that God has purposed in your life. I want to pray for our graduates this morning, and I want to pray that God will give you clarity with regard to your master. If you're not walking in close tight-knit relationship with God, this morning, I challenge you, I charge you, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And if you don't know your mission, I want to pray that God will make it so clear to you that when you wake up in the morning, the only thing you can think about is I have to do what God has created and designed for me to do. And those missions are different for a lot of people. My mother's mission, I'll give you, I'll tell you what my mother's mission was. Her mission was to raise up three God-fearing men who would be ministers of the gospel. Her mission was to love my father and to carry out the ministry that he had with them together. She never went to college. She didn't have an extraordinary education, but she had a clear, definite sense of her purpose. And your mission may not be that. It may be something else. But I want, you, I want to pray for you this morning that God will make that clear to you. Father, I want to pray for you from now that God will bring the right mate into your life 
and that God will keep the wrong mate out of your life. Say amen, somebody. Listen, parents, if you are the parents of young children, from the day they're born, you start praying for their mate. Young men, young women, the moment you realize, I need a mate, you start praying for your mate. I have been praying for my wife since I was a little boy. And I would read all the time in Genesis 24 that Isaac married Rebekah. And I've been praying for my Rebekah since then. And I know this morning that God is going to hear the prayers of people, young people, who earnestly say, God, I don't want to do this alone. I can't do this alone. I'm asking you to prepare my mate and then sit tight and wait on God. And I want to pray for you as your pastor that God will bring the right person into your life and keep the wrong people out of your life, that he'll give you wisdom and discernment for this essential question. It's not just anything to decide who to marry and who to share your life with. And when you have been brought together by God, there is an anointing there that is unique and special. And you don't have to look far, guys. You can look around this church because this church is filled with husbands and wives, marriages that have been uniquely called together by God and structured in such a way that they bless the body of Christ and they mutually bless one another. Let's stand together this morning. Graduates, would you come forward? And with, with them, I'm going to ask all the students who are here, graduates, come forward, please. All the students who are here, please come forward this morning. Whether you're in college, in high school, elementary school, whatever you're in, if you're here, come forward, please. We're going to pray God's blessing on the decisions that you make. That you will be so clear about who your master is. That the severest storms and tests of life will not move you or shake you from your core foundation. I'm going to ask the elders of the church to come forward, please. If you would, elders, come stand with me on the platform. Are all the students up here? Now, I know God has spoken. Elders, come up here, please. I know God has spoken to the body of Christ this morning on many different levels. So I want to invite all of you to come up and to just stand behind these students. And as I pray for them, I'm going to be praying that God will make things clear in your life regarding these three M's and their importance. Would you come, household of faith, come into this altar? Let's fill this altar this morning with a commitment to live our lives God's way. If you're married, come and stand next to your spouse. We're going to pray God's blessing upon your marriage as well this morning. I'm going to pray for these students and the elders are going to come and they're going to pray individually for each one as the Spirit leads. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before the throne of grace this morning with expectation and hope for the lives and futures of these young men and women. You called them from their mother's womb. You fearfully and wonderfully made them. They have your fingerprint of design all over their life. They've never had a day in their life when you were not in control. They are blessed beyond their own knowledge of it. And today I pray, first of all, that they would have a relationship with you that cannot be moved or shaken, that cannot be questioned or contradicted by any force of man or of the enemy. I declare that they are a generation that will acknowledge God in all of their ways, that they will reverence God in an irreverent culture and that they will love the Lord their God with their whole being. That they will love you with their whole life. And God, I thank you that you love them. You have been so good to them. You brought them to this point. This far they've come by faith and they will go the whole distance because of your goodness and grace in their life. I pray, Father, that you would give them clarity concerning the mission of God on their life. Clarify their calling, their election. Clarify the gifts, oh God, that you have put in them for this generation. 
There is nothing they can do about the generations that came before them. But they can do everything they can to do something about the generation that they have been called to live in and to serve. And I pray that just as David was faithful in his generation, that this will be a generation that is faithful in the 21st century to the mission that they might live for your glory. That they will live and speak and eat and do everything for the glory of God and that you will make clear to them their career path, their educational decisions. Make clear to them absolutely which classes they need to take and which classes they don't need to take. Make clear to them which books they should read and which books they should not read. Lead them, guide them, superintend every decision they make because they are on mission from the Almighty God. And Father, I pray in advance, from this day forward, I pray, oh God, that you will prepare for them the mate that you have called to stand by their side. If they are called to marriage, I pray that you will reveal that to them at the due time. That they will have the patience to wait on you. That they will not get into wrong relationships. That they will wait on your calling and timing in their life. Father, I pray that you will bring a mate into their life that will be good to them, that will love them, that will cherish them, that will support them, that will help them to walk closer to you and closer to the mission that you have called upon their life. We come against every satanic strategy to bring the wrong person into their life, and we declare there is a line around them that cannot be crossed in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you in advance because this generation will not be a divorced generation. They will not be a generation of broken families. They will live in the blessing of God. They will see the glory of God in their generation. And they will be marriages that are whole and healthy because they are walking with the master. Almighty God, we raise our hands in worship and in praise. Come on, just lift your hands all over this room. And we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you because you have led us this far. Father, I pray for the men and the women in this church. For marriages that the enemy has tried to divide and, and conquer. I pray, oh God, for continued strength, for wholeness, for health, for healing. I pray, Lord, for marriages that you have anointed. That they would become increasingly more powerful, increasingly more able. That the light of God will shine upon their decisions. Almighty God, we come against every satanic strategy to discourage them, to bring, to bring fear to them. They are more powerful together. They are more powerful because they're walking together in the light of God. And in the name of Jesus, they will have success. Almighty God, I pray for an unleashing of wisdom in this house. Let the wisdom of your word permeate and saturate every decision we're making this week and this month and this year. We acknowledge you. We acknowledge you in all of our ways. Do it, oh God, for your name's sake.